I was getting all excited uh, to talk about next week's Wisconsin and Ohio State game from the horseshoe in Cleveland, or excuse me, Columbus, Ohio, uh, with the undefeated Wisconsin Badgers taking on the homestanding and undefeated and fourth-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes. And something happened, though. Something happened. Something called the University of Illinois has happened to the Wisconsin Badgers, and I, quite frankly, can't figure it out. Um, I knew in my heart of hearts that Illinois was not going to lose to Wisconsin at home by 31 points. That was what the line was as of kickoff Saturday morning. But I could tell something was wrong, and I'm not making excuses. Congratulations to Lovey Smith. Your team has been hanging in there against all the big boys, but always coming up a little bit short. This week, I don't know how you did it, quite frankly, but uh, that vaunted Wisconsin defense looked very penetrable. Uh, You wonder what happens now next week against Ohio State. But bottom line here for Paul Chris, guys, um, your season's not over, but you now can officially take yourself out of the running for a playoff position in the college football playoffs. And for Jonathan Taylor, unfortunately, I think you take him out of the Heisman race because, as we all know, the Heisman race has become a popularity contest, and it's been won generally pretty much by quarterbacks the last number of years, and we've got a lot of great quarterbacks having great seasons. And uh, because of pass-oriented offenses now in college football, um, putting up the big gaudy numbers, quarterbacks are going to probably... Uh, win the Heisman for the next number of years just because of the offense that is being played these days in major college football. So tough loss today for Wisconsin. Uh, really surprised that it happened. I Again, I knew that Illinois was not going to lose by 31 on their home dirt. There's no way. I knew that. But, uh, you know, Lovey's guys gave Michigan a run last week. Um, they haven't been blown out by anybody. I knew this was a tough game. And remember, Wisconsin has not played on anybody else's field in over 50 days. Not making excuses, but that pairing with they were probably looking on the schedule and looking forward and looking ahead in the schedule to remind themselves that, hey, we're playing Ohio State next week. And I don't think they probably gave Illinois the proper credit and the proper respect that they deserved. In the end, it cost Wisconsin a chance in the playoffs, and it cost, I believe, Jonathan Taylor a chance at the Heisman Trophy as we welcome the executive producer into the little program, the guy that makes it all happen, Chris Fluke. And when I walked into Chris's house today and told him that Wisconsin had lost, he thought I was lying to him. But no, if in, it is true, Wisconsin loses 24-23 on a last-second field goal. And, uh, <laughs> hey, it happens. But uh, I really believe, again, Wisconsin has shot themselves in the foot in regard to a chance for a playoff position because they still have to go to Ohio State next week. And then for some reason or some way, shape, or form, they still win the Big Ten West, which they can still do. They would face another another challenge from Ohio State more than likely. And um, tough day for the Badgers. I feel bad about that. Yeah, I, I mean, it. I couldn't even process that when you said that they lost a game they were favored by 30. But I think this is a great example, because this has got to be the best explanation, and it's the one you gave of a look-ahead situation. You know, sports bettors talk about this, and I think that the general public doesn't really... Yeah, a lot of them haven't even heard of this, and maybe they don't factor it in that well, but I can't come up with any other explanation. I'm not the biggest expert on this stuff, but you don't lose a game where you're favored by 30 points, which just is, you know, for an NFL viewer, it's hard to even comprehend that kind of a spread. 
and to lose even on a last second field goal by one point doesn't matter um it's it's a look ahead situation they were looking ahead and that's all there is to it and uh this will help i think reaffirm um my you know um my desire to make sure that I'm always paying attention to potential look ahead situations and taking them more seriously. Sometimes I kind of gloss over them, but I, I think this is a, a great example of, uh, of a look ahead situation. And uh, that's actually, that's, that's one other thing I was going to say from last episode, actually, when we were talking about Minnesota and Detroit is that uh, to me, Minnesota has to play on Thursday. Now they're playing the lowly Redskins, so they might not look ahead to that and that, but I mean, when you have to play again in four days, you're like, Oh man, we got to, Maybe I should save something in the tank for that. So, yeah, look-ahead situations. I mean, what are you going to do? That's What a shame to have your season end on that, though. That's brutal. Um, let's go on to some other news and notes from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Uh, the biggest one probably from Thursday night's NFL game. I didn't mention it much when we were going through because obviously Chris and I did not submit a pick for this Thursday's NFL game between uh, Denver and Kansas City, but... The big news was the dislocated right knee of defending NFL MVP Patrick Mahomes. Um, The MRI came back clean, however you want to describe clean as, but no further structural damage besides the dislocation of the right kneecap. They're expecting him anywhere out between four to six weeks. Ian Rappaport is saying a minimum of three three games, the little... uh, NFL network guru guy. He's saying three games a minimum. General consensus is four to six weeks. Um, this helps the Packers. <laughs> yeah, I know. This helps the Packers next week on Monday night or whenever they're supposed to play against the Chiefs. Maybe it's Sunday night. I don't know. But all I do know is that I think a lot of people were looking forward to see a Mahomes and Rodgers yeah. matchup, though. That's with TV because these guys only play Kansas City and Green Bay because of being in different conferences, only play once every four years. So depending on how long Aaron Rodgers plays, we may never see now a Mahomes and Rodgers matchup. But uh, the week after Mahomes, excuse me, Kansas City plays Green Bay, uh, Kansas City hosts the Minnesota Vikings. So the Minnesota Vikings potentially could certainly benefit from this as well. But uh, I think Kansas City fans have to be breathing a little easier knowing it is a dislocated knee versus an ACL or something worse that could have happened to the defending MVP of the NFL. Yeah, this was a best case scenario, what ended up happening here. And there was no real structural damage uh, under the dislocation. So it is interesting because, of course, in all the rugby fans were showing clips of rugby players, you know, falling down their kneecaps out and the guy just like slaps it back into place himself and then runs back into the scrum and whatever. But I mean, football players are tough and I feel bad for Mahomes. You could see how important Patrick Mahomes already is to the league. All the Broncos even were coming up and really, you know, making sure it was okay. exactly. And I think there's, you know, you'd like to think there's some degree of camaraderie in the NFL like that anyway. But I think people realize like, hey, this guy's like a superstar in our sport already, won the MVP as a rookie. I mean, who does that in the NFL? And uh, they realize how important he is to the game. So hopefully he's back soon. I know that Kansas City does have a Week 12 bye, so that'll help get him healthy. But, I mean, he could actually be back before then. So ideally, it'd be nice if they had a Week you know, 9 bye or 8 bye or something like that. So, uh, But anyway, it's just an extra week to get him, help him get fully healthy, even if he does come back before that. But yeah, it, it couldn't have really gone much better for them when you saw that happen. 
But I don't know. Maybe Andy Reid shouldn't be calling a sneak there, like like that. And that was the knee. And like, was yeah. it was it because of the ankle? Was he overcompensating for something? And then even if he doesn't hurt the kneecap, you're risking the ankle because how did his ankle get hurt in the first place? His own guy stepped on him. What do you think is likely to happen when you've got everyone within a yard of each other? I mean, I don't think the sneak there was the right play. And it was on fourth down. I was thinking, like, I think he should actually kick the field goal here because they should really be able to win this game uh, anyway with Denver's terrible offense. So, yeah, I didn't like a lot about that call, even though I really do like Andy Reid. You know, it's funny. And I go back to the Canadian game. Um, A lot of times on third and one or second and one in the Canadian game because there's only three downs. But they'll bring in the backup quarterback to take the one-yard quarterback sneak and get the first down. I, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I'm not quite sure if that was the right call. Again, I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Andy Reid, once the quarterback's coach way back when in Green Bay. Um, but I, I question that call. I don't know why you'd make your, your uh, defending NFL MVP take a snap like that. Kick the field goal, hand it off to your running back, do something. Yeah, and they, and Kansas City does employ a fullback who is right. who is also their emergency third quarterback. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, maybe you just direct snap it to him, bring him in. He could even hand off as a trick or throw it. Um, bring in Matt Moore for that play, like you say. Yeah, lots of different options there. And I know it's easy to second guess at the oh, time. Oh, for and- sure it is. This is this is the the king of second guessing. Yeah, right at now. the time it's like it's it's fourth and an inch on the two yard line. Like, and you, you know, know, and let's be honest. Probably nine out of ten times, it's fine. Yeah, exactly. So I'm I'm really not trying to be hard on Andy no, Reid here. No, I know no, you're no, not no. either, but uh, I really didn't like the sneak uh, aspect of it. And e- even again, even it wasn't even the kneecap, even like, but just with putting the ankle at risk specifically, since it was already stepped on, and that's what caused the problem. So that was that was really unfortunate. Chiefs are okay. They're in a decent spot. They're extremely banged up. Um, but uh, they they're they're first in the division, so yeah. who knows? Maybe you know a lot of people thought that the Saints season was over, and now they're undefeated since then. So oh, I just got something that came to my mind. Remember when we had our football preview show and we were talking about that one score thing about the toughest divisions in the AFC, yeah. and they had put the AFC West as the toughest division, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons was because of the Denver Broncos. How dumb do they look now? I think that was the first one I got wrong because I was like, I couldn't the Denver, place that up there. The Denver Broncos, to me, and I've got it right here, and I'm enjoying it for sure, I say here, but one of the worst teams in the NFL right now is the Denver Broncos. Vic Fangio still, to me, looks confused. Mm-hmm. Elway, Elway doesn't know what he's doing personnel-wise, and quarterback Flacco sucks. Yeah, and and what the hell's the deal with leaving Flacco in the entire time? You're down like 24 with a few minutes left, and you can't give your your rookie backup some playing time. For well, two throw minutes. him to the wolves. But you know, if you've got a struggling offensive line, when it looks like they have in Denver, Flacco is the worst quarterback to bring in as your franchise guy because he has no mobility at all. He'll just sit there and absorb getting his ass kicked. Did you see that one play where? It was, were they going for it on fourth down? But And he could have run for the first yeah. down, but he stay, He just stayed in there in the pocket and threw out, yeah. I, I just, his decision-making is, I mean, there is a reason. I mean, and I have to take, I have to take full accountability for this. I was very critical of the Baltimore Ravens front office for giving up on Joe Flacco, and I probably hung on too long and giving him the respect for having won a Super Bowl. But that was, what, 2012 now? Mm-hmm. 
Jesus Christ, that's an eternity ago. That's seven years. Even my math skills are enough to snap onto that one. But the Baltimore Ravens, I owe them an apology. In their personnel department, Eric De La Costa, I think is his name, is the new general manager taking over for Ozzie Newsom. There is a reason that they went with Lamar Jackson because though he's not the prototypical and the guy that I would have as my quarterback under center, but he's producing at a lot better rate than Joe Flacco is right now. And he and he sold Flacco to a quarterback Hall of Famer by the name of John Elway. I don't, you know, I've got a very good friend. You've heard me mention him before. Huge Denver Bronco fan. Lives over here, in fact, in Copperfield. I told him the other day, I said, you know what? Elway doesn't know what he's doing. And if Mr. Bolin was still alive, Mr. Bolin would seriously have to think about a change at his utmost football position in his football operation. Yeah, they're a joke, and Vic Fangio's, Fangio's been a failure, and Joe Flacco's been a failure. John and, Elway's been a and failure. And John Elway's been a failure. I, when, when they got Flacco, I just thought, it never even occurred to me that they're bringing him in to be this awesome quarterback. I thought, okay, they're resigning themselves to, they're, they're going to go all in on their defense. They're going to try and do what they did with Super Bowl 50. They're going to go all in on defense and special teams, and they're going to just bring in a veteran game manager, because... Peyton Manning is one of my absolute favorite players of all time. When he like when he won the Super Bowl with Indy, he was the whole team. Actually, for a bunch of years there, they started every oh. season eight and zero. He was like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Yeah, and he was, and I mean Aaron Rodgers has a hell of a lot better team right now than Peyton Manning maybe ever did with the Colts. But Peyton Manning was unbelievable. But that was at the end of his career, and he was not the same guy at all. He was really smart still, but just was a really a game manager, and that's it. So I thought. Well, clearly that's what they're doing. They're just going to have, you know, bring in the average quarterback, but who's experienced, and then they go on that because Super Bowl 50 was won because of the defense. And the fact that I'm I'm hearing, I guess, that some people think that Flacco was signed to be awesome, that never no. would have occurred to me. I have a question. Yeah. Didn't they have to fuse Manning's neck or do something? Yeah, yeah, he had neck fusion so, surgery. That's why he so missed So they it. had to physically go in there and put his bones together, and then he went out... Nobody's going to play at the same level after a neck fusion surgery. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that that was the right I mean, guy. That's why he missed of. a whole season. Yeah, right. I understand that. But then he went to Denver and led him to the Super Bowl. But Denver was mostly a defensive-driven team at that time with a good running game. And he'd make an occasional pass. You know, that first year in Denver, he was very good. But after a neck fusion surgery, I don't think anybody's ever going to be right again. Yeah. Um, we're talking National Football League, so I will continue talking National Football League. And I have a theory about this ongoing problem, which is the terrible NFL officiating. It's brutal. I, it's a pandemic. <laughs> very nice. Pandemic. That gets us more words. That gets us more worth on our words, mm -hmm. our word usage. I am blaming, listen to this, when you bring this back and you mm -hmm. tape this, put that little drum roll back in here. That's pretty oh, good. Oh, I've been meaning I to like ask you that. if you like that. I love that. Did you? I thought I you might. Yeah, because you're like, oh, we need a drum roll. Yeah, and you hit it. <laughs> Boom, right on cue, drum roll. So here we go. We need a drum roll. Here is, here is my theory on the bad NFL officiating. Drum roll, please. Blame the television networks. And why is that? The best refs in the game today are working in television. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Mike Pereira, mm -hmm. Gene Steratore, yep. John Perry. Yep. Those are ones just Dean to Dean Blandino. I, there you go. There's another one, Dean Blandino. The best television 
or the best referees in the National Football League are now working NFL games for the television networks. And they haven't replaced that talent. That's part of it. And the second one is, and I've been bitching about this for 25 years. This would certainly help. We need to make the NFL Zebras full-time employees. None so of this, some, of the, some of them are now. Some of them, but they all have to be. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Of course they do. Course they, they all do. have to be. Of course they do. Obviously. None of just, and I know what you're saying. All of them, whether there's 500 of them. I don't know how many of them there are. I don't know. I think there are 25, if I remember correctly, hearing the number once, that there are 25 full-time Zebra employees. Everybody that works on the field, in uniform personnel, in the National Football League, Referees Association, all of them need to be full-time employees so that they can study and learn year-round. And they also need to be part of the discussion in regard to rule changes so that everybody is on the same page. Sure, and those are great points. The other thing I like about the TV, and that is a great point you made there. I, I love that, that they're going to be uh, gravitating to that and they can make way more money sitting in, Absolutely. The, in a nice comfy no chair. No pressure and, sitting in a booth in New York. Yeah, that's right, and just uh, having a good time with the guys and probably making infinite millions instead of you know, 100 grand where the other guys make. So, um, yeah, you're right. That's where their best guys are going to go. What the other side of the coin is that I'm really interested in, and that is weeding out the guys who suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm dead serious about that. I know the, you are. So, I mean, Greg and I used to always make fun of stupid Mike Carey, that ref. He was so bad. And then he was even bad in television. He's one of the, he's one of the guys exactly. that got fired. Exactly. Exactly, because in the NFL, it's like, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe we'll find him if he does something really bad. In, in television, what did Mike Carey last? One year? And they're like, man, this guy's an idiot. Like, he doesn't know anything. And then he was gone. You can't have an idiot there, especially since, like, I think this really got started with Mike Pereira. Like, this, yes. is, this is really recent where you have, like, true rules gurus, not just kind of random broadcasters. They said, hey, why don't we just get the absolute best? So they bring in Mike Pereira, who's a genius and who's like, and he's, he's so well dressed and he's yeah. so put together and he's so articulate and he's so and smart he's cool. and he's cool. Yeah. Like the guy's awesome. And so, you know, that was just, it was almost like when they brought in Tony Romo, not that he's the first quarterback to do broadcaster broadcasting or anything, but in terms of a guy just basically right off the field, right to the lead broadcast spot on the top broadcasting team, like you can't, it's just it's just unrealistic to to set that standard. So then they're like, oh, we'll just bring in any ref and they'll be good. And like, no, you won't. You're bringing in Mike Gary. <laughs> like he's an idiot, right? And so and now they brought in Terry McCauley, who I don't like either. Uh, some where the heck was he? Terry McCauley. Gr Greg and I a couple of years ago were doing our betting, and we were looking and we're like. We're like, geez, we're getting like one wrong. It's like every time we were getting a game wrong of screwing us, it was because it was officiated by Terry McCauley. It's like, <laughs> come on, you asshole. So anyway, um, I, I love the the move to try to educate viewers and give a proper analysis and get guys like Dean Blandino and Mike Pereira, good guys like that. Gene Steratore was always my favorite ref, other than the folded index card debacle, mm. which I disagreed with him on. Everything else I think I ever saw him do was just spot on. He was so good. And, um, yeah, but I mean, I think the other thing is we have to try to way to find a way to objectify the rules a bit. And I say this all the time because then you could even have potentially computers or something analyzing and making it clear because here it's still subjective. Yeah. Even when they have replay, even if they have multiple experts watching slow motion replay, they still can't get it right because it's subjective. 
So if you could objectify it to a degree and make it so that it's just clear black and white, if, if there's no doubt about it, if there's a way to do that, that's the only way you will ever, I think, truly solve the problem. Well, I just think that we could, again, it's cyclical in regard to you've lost a lot of talent on NFL fields with the loss of guys like Pereira, Steratorn, Perry, Dean And they Blandino. should be paid more, and there's tons of money in the NFL to go around. And, and you know, and, and again, Blandino, um, we've lost, or the NFL has lost a lot of good refereeing talent the last couple of years, and they haven't re- adequately uh, replaced that talent yet, for damn sure. Um, you were talking about Tony Rome. Tony Romo. Talking about that Vegas Tony Rome. I've told yeah, you about Rome. him. No, Tony Rome. Oh, there is a Tony I, Rome, too. Well, That's I right. told you about Al Bernstein's manager years ago. Oh, okay. He wanted to be my manager years ago. I'm not getting involved with a guy <laughs> named Tony Rome. Um, but anyway, Tony Romo from Burlington, Wisconsin, who will be on Packers Raiders tomorrow with Jim Nance in oh, okay. Lambeau Field. So it'll be some reason to keep the volume up this week. But, you know, I always... I always give a little bit of noise to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. And I think partially, I don't have a problem with Aikman. My problem mostly, I think, is because of Buck, because he's on everything. Everything that I like to watch sports-wise, unfortunately, I just I may be a little bit tired of Joe Buck. That and, and, you know, he's got a nice, smooth delivery. He ebbs and flows very well with the broadcast of the game. But I've got to say that this was the first game this year that I've watched on Monday night, and that's because of, obviously, the Packers' connection. And this was the first time. Now, last year they were bad, and I thought they would have gotten rid of the problem, meaning the ESPN Monday night NFL announced team of Joe Tessitore, Anthony McFarland, and Jason Witten Jason Witten last year. And I think they thought they had eradicated the problem by getting rid of Witten. Sometimes a three-man booth has to, it can work well, but there has to be a really strong leader in that three-man booth. That's why years ago, years and years ago, uh, Al Michaels and Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell worked because you had a great leader in Al Michaels. He could get them to take bits and pieces and work off of each other. But you've got a huge, strong personality there with a Howard Cosell. So it's it takes a really good trigger man to do that. Joe Tessitore is not that guy. I have to make comment about the ESPN football broadcast team from Monday night's game. Joe Tessitore uh, has paid his dues and worked his way up to one of the preeminent jobs covering the National Football League with a football franchise that has been Monday night football since 1970. And I got to say this, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but yet I'm just being my honest opinion that the broadcast team right now with ESPN's Monday Night Football, is the worst it has been ever. I can't understand why a network allows a person to use another name than his given name of Anthony. It's one thing if it's a tiger or it's a decent kind of a nickname, uh, but a booger. That should just tell you right there that there's not a lot of credibility in this broadcast. And Tessator's delivery is so herky-jerky. Second and ten. 12.37 12.37 to go in the second period. And then there'll be a big play, and he'll try to jack it up instead of doing it gradually. And I got to give Buck credit for doing this. He does that very well, gradually, 25, 30, 35, 40, and then gradually his voice goes up. Tessator's is, 
It's second and four from the 36. And there's a big play out at the 46-yard line. You can't have that herky-churky bullshit. You've got to be consistent. You've got to go up with the play with a rhythmic flow. You can't just go from two on the Richter scale to nine on the Richter scale after a pass from Aaron Rodgers to one of his myriad of unknown receivers last week. He is very herky-jerky, and I don't like listening to him. I can't believe that somebody at ESPN thought Sean McDonough wasn't as good as this guy. He's better than this guy. And I will not, and I told Chris this earlier, I will not address the color man, (laughs) no pun intended, the analyst in that booth, I will not acknowledge him as his given or his given nickname name, the one he prefers to be called, he will be Anthony McFarland to me. I think that's ridiculous that ESPN or anybody allows him on television using the name Booger. Yeah, no, it's disgusting as we've been over. But uh, so our buddy Walter, every week he likes to, as a joke, he likes to write up what it would be like, you know how there's like two-man booths and there's three-man booths, and I don't really like three-man booths, but he likes to write up as a joke what it would be like if they had a seven-man booth with <laughs> Kevin Riley, Ron Wolfley, Don Tolufson, Emmett Smith, Herman Edwards, Dan Fouts, and Jay Cutler. Oh, my God. As long as they're not including Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders, I'm fine. Yeah, so he, so it's like if you had this seven-man booth and all these guys going at it, it's just it's really funny. But anyway, the... Every week, what he does with the Jason Witten part is Jason Witten only talks once, and he says the it's basically the exact same thing with this template, and he just changes whatever right. they're talking about. So in this one, they they've been talking about macaroni or something. So he's like, "Hello, my name is Jason Witten, and I just came out of retirement. I heard someone say macaroni and cheese. This is one of my favorite foods. Why? Because it's a food, and it's one of my favorites. Macaroni and cheese is real good. It's real good because it has two things: the macaroni <laughs> and the cheese." If you put them together, you get something real good. And that's macaroni and cheese. And that's real good. And then, and, and that's why he's playing tight end for the Cowboys again. And for the Cowboys again because that was his analysis and it was great. And of course, then every time you see Cutler talk, it says, meh, it's okay. And uh, oh, Cutler. <laughs> Just like he played quarterback. Yeah, yeah he's it, okay. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, but yes, I don't want to refer to that guy as his gross nickname that his mother gave him when he was two years old either. Which, literally, which I heard is actually the story. Correct. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah but... I mean, to go from what they had before, and that I know that ESPN let a lot of guys go, but there's a guy who I just, I loved, we've, we both love this guy, and I loved how, what you were talking about, at how how do you kind of modulate the excitement, when do you crescendo, when do you do all that stuff? So you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Hey, I, I was in broadcasting, right. I was in, hey man, like I totally, totally get it. Um, yeah, the ebb and the flow and the yeah, the flow of the game and the flow of how you match that and match the excitement because that's what you're doing. You're you're conveying the excitement to the viewer and you're you're enhancing the experience. You're you're window dressing, you're supplementation, and you should be you shouldn't be this annoying thing or this drone or anything. You should be, you know, a, a conduit to make you know, to make the presentation even better. And the guy who was who just mastered that sort of crescendo and everything, but even when they'd get a touchdown, he could I couldn't even know how to imitate him, how he would just he's in for the touchdown. And it was Tariko. Of course. And it was it was firm and it was exciting, but he didn't have to freak out about it like he's just an idiot. Like I mean, or he's just like a kid or something. Like he just he just nailed it every time and it was it was smooth, but it was like honest and it was just like in for that touchdown. And and it was just great. And to go from that and of course John Gruden, who now that's not their fault. I mean he left and that's not their fault. But 
uh, Mike Tirico and John Gruden, I used to tune into money, even if I had nothing on the line, didn't really care, didn't even care about watching football because I'd watched so much the day before, I would still watch Monday Night Football just for Tirico and Gruden. And I mean, it was funny how at the beginning, for those few years when Gruden was newer, how they had Jaws in the three-man booth just because I think they wanted to babysit Gruden. Right, exactly. Just to kind of, maybe to kind of shepherd him and mentor him a bit, maybe just make sure he didn't go too off the handle because he's John Gruden. But, uh, you know, I, don't, I think their fears were maybe unfounded. But to go from Tariko and Gruden to whatever the hell this is, um, I guess it's slightly less comical than last year when you had the blank mobile that he's ripping around in on the sidelines, obstructing people's views. I mean, ESPN is just a nightmare of an organization, and they can't seem to do anything right. Their analysis sucks. Their hiring sucks. Their firing sucks. And I, I just I don't know how they could be much worse as an organization. Before we get out of here on this 409th episode of Unscripted, I did want to bring up one last uh, story I read uh, before coming over here, um, in re- and it's involving a ex-NFL player. So maybe you can give me a little insight and because uh, I don't understand why this would be considered a uh, infringement of the rules. But Greg Hardy, former NFLer with the, most famously with the Carolina Panthers, spent some time with the Dallas Cowboys as well. He is now fighting in the UFC. And recently, I don't know when this happened, but I just read about it today. It must have happened recently because this came off like an AP press wire, if you will. The ex-NFL the had his UFC fight ruled a no contest after officials found that Hardy had used an inhaler. So I may be as dumb as a box of rocks as I think I am sometimes, but I Ask Chris here, who knows a lot more about this, but I would wonder why Greg Hardy using an inhaler would consider that a no contest of his fight after they had found that he had used, again, this inhaler. What's going on? Sure. So it, and it's weird because it's a bit of a gray area because they say, like, Greg Hardy and his team are saying that they asked the commissioner who was standing there, hey, can I use the inhaler? And he said, yeah, go ahead. And... Uh, but then, but the inhaler is just supposed to help breathe his or help his breathing before he takes the ring, or what? So here's how I've got it. Uh, okay. Here's what I've got for you. So the uh, MSAC uh, follows the World Anti-Doping Agency's list of prohibited substances. Inhalers that contain beta two agonists are prohibited at all times. However, inhalers containing albuterol, also called salbutamol are allowed under certain conditions and it shows like the number of micrograms and all that type of stuff like for example you could take eight puffs of the albuterol inhaler in a 12-hour period without incurring an anti-doping rule violation so it, it seems like there's a bit of a gray area so what they did after greg hardy beat the guy later in the night they did change it to a no contest so you almost wonder with some of these guys, like a Greg Hardy, you know, who got in trouble for domestic violence and was suspended from the NFL and then eventually left the NFL. Mm-hmm. And then you th- and then he's like, hey, I'm not a bad guy. I had like, you know, one transgression or whatever. And then he goes and like everything just it's like trouble follows the guy like he, you know, he, he accidentally knees a guy in the head while he's kneeling and gets disqualified. And then he does this. And it's like none of this stuff has anything to do with domestic abuse, but it's like it just... 
He's just one of those guys that's like just trouble follows him or something. So Dana White is saying, well, no, inhalers are totally illegal. You can't do it. Plus, I guess, theoretically, I guess you could potentially maybe sneak something, some enhancement into the inhaler, I suppose. And then so that that's a bad look. Because I mean, imagine then if everyone was using all these inhalers between rounds, you're like, what's going on? So as a no contest, how does that reflect on his record? So it's it's a separate thing. So it's so if you listen to the beginning of any uh, ring announcing done by Bruce Buffer or anyone at the UFC event, the guys will be with a record of eighteen wins, two losses, one draw, one no contest. Oh, okay. It actually is its own separate thing. Most of them don't have draws. I guess some of them do, but but yeah, it's, it wins losses, and there are lots of no uh, guys with no contests. Sure, but okay. it's annoying when it, it's a guy who's been around forever, like forever, he has to hear that. And then do they split the purse then, or do they? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know what they're going to do about that. That's a really good one. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, no contests are are interesting. I mean, it's almost like the fight didn't happen, but both guys did work. So both they, guys, they so they would, I would think at the very least, my guess, I don't have a clue, but they take the first place winnings and the second place winnings and divide them up and each go home. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, no idea. obviously. Somebody's got to get paid, though, because somebody went out there and worked their ass off for how many weeks and months in, pre- in preparation for this fight. Yeah. they No, I'm sure they'll both get paid for their years. I'm, I'm just, I'm sure Greg uh, Hardy won't get his win bonus, of sure, course. Sure, But, uh, yeah, I mean, interesting. But, I mean, if he's telling the truth and they had a commission official who's right there saying, yeah, go ahead and use it. Well, then he should be off the hook. I know. Should be his win. Yeah, because then Dana heard this and he's like, what are you talking about? So Dana at his guy's looking like, what commissioner and who te- who said this? And you can't ever do that. So don't and- be surprised in the next couple of days we hear that they've awarded this victory then to Greg Hardy, potentially. Uh, I actually would be surprised if you they would did be that. okay. Yes, I would okay. because so now uh, they just have to fight again. Then, hmm. well, there's a, there's a rematch there, right? Well, but I think Greg Hardy pretty convincingly oh, beat the guy, ass. and plus he didn't use he didn't. That's the thing. He had that match well in control. He didn't use the inhaler till after the second round, going into oh. just one round left, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's literally like he's two rounds in, he's destroying the guy. One one quick round left, and he takes the inhaler before that. It's like the, it was practically over before he even touched the thing. Yeah. So look into it, Dana. Yeah, and he is, but I mean, Dana seems Dana Dana seems angry about not just Greg Hardy, who's new to the sport, but his manager, who's not, and uh, just saying his manager knows better than this and, and and all that. But you never know. There was a controversy a few years ago with George Saint Pierre, where like you're not allowed to put Vaseline on yourself and make yourself slippery, for example, right? But um, one of his coaches in the corner between rounds in this one big fight that St. Pierre was having, he you are allowed to use Vaseline on your face for okay. cuts. In like the boxing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, okay, so the round ends, you go sit on your stool, you got one minute between, before the next round starts, sit there, the coach is pepping you up and everything, you got your little stool and everything. And then, yeah, you're bleeding. They can put, like, cold compresses on your face and, and clean you up and, like, put some Vaseline on the cuts and everything. So the guy was doing that, which is fine. But then he, the guy who was applying that to George St. Pierre to wipe off his hands, he wiped off his hands on George's neck and shoulders. Oh, which is like... Yeah, I mean, there's a gray like, area. Did he, did he <laughs> just kind of not think about it? Or is he just a veteran move? Yeah. You know, like that. Like, there's all these little tricks that you never know what these guys are doing. I mean, you think back to Daniel Cormier missing weight uh, a couple years ago, and he did the old amateur wrestling trick where, okay, well, you go back and you try and, you know, get back on the bike for a few minutes or whatever and come back and weigh in again, and you take off all of your clothes, even your underwear, just to make sure you don't have an extra ounce on you to try and make the weight limit. 
So what they do is when you get naked, they hold up the white towel so that the cameras can't see your junk. Right. And so the old wrestling trick, and you can see him kind of do it, is just slightly you push down on the white towel just to give yourself just that little okay. and all of a sudden he was like a couple pounds under or something makes it and off the scale okay see you later I made, <laughs> I made it there's all these little tricks or uh, I don't know if you ever saw you probably I mean you've probably seen most or all of the original Rocky movies I've seen them all yeah but have you seen the newer ones like no. uh, Paul I've, I've the last one I saw was number four okay so then there was five which was universally shit on and then there was Rocky Balboa, which was six. And then there's the new ones now. There's the two Creed movies with, like, the young guy or whatever. Right. Uh, Michael B. Jordan is the actor. Correct, yeah. Um, but anyway, so they do a cool trick there. So uh, the guy, he can't see between rounds, and so the refs could stop the fight. So they're, they're like, how many fingers am I holding up? And Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, no. is behind him. And he's and he he knows that he can't see very well to do it. So whenever he sees how many fingers the ref is holding up, he just taps him that many times on the back. So they ref holds up three. He's like, tap, tap, tap. So the guy, three. Like, he just, there's so many little veteran tricks. So yeah. you never know. Like, who knows what was in this inhaler? Correct. Right. So in fairness, I, there's, I don't see any way that they reverse the reversal. We've got to run on this 409th episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.